This is Mission.org. If you look at in the 90s, it didn't matter what your legacy media business was. You could be a newspaper, radio station, magazine, local TV station. You became a digital business too. You had a website, you had digital revenue and all of that stuff. So I feel in the 20s, streaming is analogous to that. Whatever your other media business is, if you're a mid to large publishing or media company, you will also be a streaming media company. With Netflix reportedly expecting to lose subscribers for the second quarter in a row, is the oversaturated streaming market doomed? Not if our guest today has anything to say about it. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today we speak with Navdeep Saini, the co-founder and CEO of a company called DistroScale. The company has implemented a number of innovative approaches to bring the streaming market into the future. Tune in to find out why ad-supported streaming might supersede the subscription model and what DistroScale's doing to give the power back to the publisher. Let's get into it. Brightspot content management system enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Navdeep, thanks again for being here. I'm super excited to connect with you. Your, your background is really interesting. Of course, I've got to mention a couple of things I noticed. I mean, you had some really cool experience. I saw a double click in the early days, yeah. double click. I spent a couple of years at Google and there were some folks, I guess, through an acquisition that came over. It was double click became part of Google. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, were, but you, were you there at that during that time at all? Was that before? I was there before. I joined DoubleClick when they were just raising their B round, actually, in 97. At that time, it was one of the largest B rounds uh, ever. Wow. Yeah, I joined then. It went public. And then some of the industry people know this, but DoubleClick got acquired by a private equity firm, Hellman Friedman. And yep. then they sold it to Google, but I think about 18 months later or so. So I left when it got, you know, I'd kind of seen the full ride. I left when it um, was acquired by the private equity firm. And that's actually when I moved out West. So I used to be in New York. Okay. You know, I want to be in this space. This is <laughs> what I want to do. And uh, I moved out West and uh, joined Yahoo. I saw that. That was my next point was I saw you were a VP of engineering at Yahoo for almost three years and then went over to, to looks like BuySight, got acquired by AOL, That's right. BuildScale, Glam Media. So yeah. at what point in the career did kind of the entrepreneurial itch start? You worked at some great brands. You've done some great things. 
did you kind of have it in your mind's eye that you were going to do your own thing eventually? Or at what point did being a, a founder, a co-founder of a business become you know real for you? Was it early days or when did that happen? I always had it. So I've always had it since I was studying computer engineering. So I always knew that. And uh, one of the things with when I joined DoubleClick also was it was interesting because, you know, I was interviewed by the founders of the company, you know, Kevin O'Connor, Dwight Merriman. There used to be a VP engineering at that time, John Hyders. It was great to be talking to the people. They, they interviewed me and I joined the companies. It sort of used to be in one floor or like a couple of rooms at that time, right? So that was wow. great. And obviously what they built, you know, went on to become one of the largest internet and still is one of the largest advertising platforms in the on the internet. Many of those executives, those names and others that were there in those days have gone on to run businesses, big businesses, or be a part of a lot of growth and scale. Any like key lessons, favorite failures, or all the above when you transitioned you know, to the, in the Yahoo days? Like, what were some of the experience there working at Yahoo and being a part of that brand back then? DoubleClick, obviously, we built the whole business. We scaled it. It was good to kind of build something from the ground up and just scale it massively. When I joined Yahoo in 2005, Yahoo had just acquired a company called Overture, and they were sort of rebuilding part of that management team, and I was part of that. So Overture is the company that actually started uh, search marketing. It used to be called goto.com then became Overture. It was interesting back in the late 90s, actually, DoubleClick was actually at one point in time thinking of acquiring GoTo.com. But then at that time, it was like, you know, maybe search advertising will not be that big. Or, you know, it, it, obviously, it's very different. Yeah. But Yahoo acquired Overture and I joined that. And it was interesting where as part of a team, they're rebuilding a business from the ground up, but which is a multi-billion dollar business. So it's much different to build, you know, when you're scaling something that starts from zero to you're building one. And what Yahoo sort of gave me exposure was to take something and build something which is across a big company, but also which already is a multi-billion dollar business. And how do you rebuild that from the ground up and then migrate to that new platform. Yeah. So it's a whole different ball game itself. And, you know, you're talking about small transactions. Sort of for me personally, I moved out West. I, I would always travel between New York and West Coast, but that's when I joined Yahoo's when I moved out West. New York now has a much better, I think, startup culture. Mm -hmm. I would say back maybe in the early 2000s, it didn't seem like New York was the best place for internet startups. I think now it has changed, obviously, quite a bit now. So at that time, my thought was, if I'm ever going to work on my own startup, being West is uh, probably the best place to be. A lot of exciting things happening in, in your world now. And you've been, you know, DistroScale has been in business, what, almost a decade now at this point, right? Yes. That's amazing. So for our audience, will you describe DistroScale and your role there as co-founder and CEO? So what DistroScale does, you know, think of it as video as a service. Essentially, anytime any publisher or media company or publisher wants to deliver video, and we've aligned ourselves with the sort of ad ecosystem, basically, right? I think there are two big lanes, right? There is the ad ecosystem, and then there is the subscription-based ecosystem. So we are aligned with the 
advertising-based ecosystem. So in that, whatever you need to deliver video or monetize video and track analytics of videos. So we want to provide all of that. And you know, today what happens is most companies do, they stitch together four to six different solutions to put out a video offer, right? Whether it is a video player, video infrastructure, curation, ad platforms, analytics. So we provide all of that in one platform. Mm. That's what we do. And we have two sort of big business units. So one is DistroStream, which is where we help deliver video on websites, mobile web apps, and so on for publishers, and also help monetize that. And then we have DistroTV, which is our streaming business, basically. And within DistroTV, we have our consumer app, DistroTV, which has about 234 channels. And we do DistroTV platform services where we work with these media companies to build their channels. So we can build from scratch, we can build a 24-7 linear streaming channel, put ad breaks in it, monetize that channel. We can run that channel on DistroTV and we can even syndicate it to other partners. So any other streaming services that they want to stream it to. For some of the channels, we even stream it to cable companies. Like, you know, we build a channel for them and we stream it to sort of cable companies internationally. The key part is we do this at no fixed or upfront cost to them. That's, I think, the key differentiator of our model. We do all of these things for publishers, but we take a cut of the advertising revenue. So we provide the entire platform, infrastructure, hosting, building the channel, syndicating the channel, all of that at no upfront or fixed costs. Hmm. Sounds like you, at some point, you made a big bet on video. Correct. What was that like? I mean, what were you seeing in the market that encouraged you to say, okay, there's an opportunity here because if you rewind the clock 10 years, a lot's changed on the publishing side and video. And so you made a correct bet, but what was it, what was happening at that time that said, okay, I'm betting on video. Like, What did you see or foresee happening at that time in the early days? When we were looking at starting a company for maybe the first six months, we or one year we thought of building as, okay, we want to build a platform that distributes all content, helps sort of distribute and syndicate all forms of content. We built that platform, but as we were building that, we kind of realized video is the one that's going to have the most growth. It is one of the ones where consumers are engaging the most, and that's what we thought. So we said, instead of just focusing on all types of content, let's zero in on video, which that, as you said, that, that was the correct call then. So we focused in on video and we started that. And in fact, our first business line was more distro stream. I think we made another call a few years ago. What I thought was the next thing is similar within video. I would say streaming is the next big jump. You know, I was always taught, how do we enter streaming? One thing we could have just entered it as a service provider to other channels or media companies. We also built a B2C product, which is DistroTV, which has channels. And there is definitely a B2B element because we work with media companies to bring that channels. And we also help build those channels. If you look at in the 90s, it didn't matter what your legacy media business was. You could be a newspaper, radio station, magazine, local TV station. You became a digital business too, mm -hmm. right? So you became a 
digital business and suddenly in the 90s you had a website you had digital revenue and all of that stuff so i feel in the 20s streaming is analogous to that whatever your other media business is if you're a mid to large publishing or media company you will also be a streaming media company mm. so that's sort of my belief so at the same time i think today as consumers when we think of streaming services we think mostly subscription based streaming services because they are sort of the largest part of the streaming ecosystem but i think in the next sort of 5 to 10 years in the next decade ad supported streaming is going to be a much bigger ecosystem than the subscription based streaming ecosystem so that's one of my thoughts and hopefully we'll see if that proves out true in the next 5 to 10 years that's the second belief that i have and the third i would say is along the same lines if you think of you know when tv started people got tv through antenna you got some channels there were a handful of channels when cable started it went from a handful of channels to hundreds of channels and i feel this is the next big step function with streaming there will be a lot more channels right so there'll be a lot more channels created which essentially because you can now cater to every taste and companies like ourselves where we can create a channel what used to be a weekend of let's say you know James Bond movies or western movies or any thematic now that can be a specialty channel 24/7 that's just playing that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or you can have a channel for regional sports it is really easy to create these channels and make them ubiquitous across all platforms those are sort of my three beliefs which kind of form the foundation why i think streaming ad supported streaming is going to be huge in the next 5 to 10 years wow so you have the engineering background too and then obviously you're a co-founder in this business so were you a part of the back end of building some of the technology in the business as well So my role is obviously you know product and engineering are my core strengths I would say but along with that there is the strategy and operations right so you obviously I am we are uh, running the company on a day-to-day basis I'm very involved. so pretty much every product decision I'm involved in the product direction and building the product that I would say right now I'm not actively coding as much in terms of coding but definitely the shape of the design of the product that's i would say that's me so you said that ad supported streaming is going to become more pervasive in the future but technically that you could say that exists now right there is ad supported streaming now well it exists but i think it's going to have the most growth okay within streaming the way i look at it is think of this as this is now your internet connection is your digital antenna and you will have services essentially that bring you free channels the new acronym that has come up in the last 3 4 years i think is fast right free ad supported streaming but that will have the most growth across all markets right across the globe basically not just in us what do you see as like the current opportunities in terms of connected tv what do you foresee as this possible marketing trends moving forward in addition to obviously ad supported streaming anything else you're noticing in terms of marketing opportunities in connected tv now i think this makes from a advertising perspective this makes 
media buying and advertising a lot more addressable. People are used to doing that on the internet, right? When you buy advertising on the on a website, you can see engagement on all that. And TV advertising has traditionally been more like at least the impact has been calculated using estimates or surveys and all of that, right? What is the impact? But now essentially every impression that is delivered, you can actually track was this impression delivered, played, you know, it is all viewable. So it becomes a lot more addressable. So you're essentially buying TV advertising the same way as you would be buying any other digital advertising. So I think that exists today, but that's going to grow, Mm -hmm. right? And that will make an impact on how brands and uh, advertisers, agencies, they spend on digital. What was the first, if you go back to the early days of DistroScale, what was the first kind of, you know, the moment, you know, where you're like, okay, we have something here. What's the story around that where, because you you have an idea, you have an awesome background, you've got a theory around what bets you're going to place. But what was the first big kind of like moment, maybe you and the team were like, okay, we're on to something now. What's the story around that? We started working with some publishers and we worked with some publisher partners and where we essentially we, we would deliver video on their websites. But this model of where we would help deliver their content. So we deliver the publisher's content on the publisher's side using our infrastructure and we bring in advertising and we allow them to bring in advertising too. And we take a cut of that revenue. This makes sense financially. That was the, so the first couple of publishers when we, you know, because you have to build relationships with publishers, we had built relationships with sort of advertising buyers to buy that. And when we built that and we saw a first few accounts working, that obviously is very exciting. You have this thought in your head, but now it is real and there is money flowing through the system and we are delivering value to the publisher. We are delivering value to the advertising brands. Wow. We did some of it in 2014, but it really picked up in 2015. 2015 is where we kind of saw that starting to happen. That's when we knew this is real. An interesting fact about our company, we haven't raised any external capital. I was going to ask you that. Okay. Because when you're doing a startup, you feel like, okay, this is, you know, so we bootstrapped the business and we've been profitable basically since 2015, basically. Wow. And we've used the proceeds from the business, which is somewhat of an anomaly, especially in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Yeah. And we've used that to also build Distro TV, right? So we've used the proceeds from the business to build Distro TV. If you look at some other similar companies, they've raised 70 to $80 million to get to the point where we are on Distro TV. And we've built that. Wow without taking a single dollar of investment. You certainly could have, given the places you've worked, the relationships you had. I mean, I think it could have been an easy, easy play for you to go and, and get some funding. Were you always opposed to that in the early days? Like, even though you probably could have pretty easily based on your background, but you decided not to do that. Was that, was that a pretty easy decision to make? No, I wouldn't say it was a easy decision. Uh, I mean, my last startup, which was BuySight, which uh, Permuto, it started out as Permuto became BuySight. So we did raise capital and it was, it became part of uh, AOL. We 
started this, obviously we put in our own like sort of seed capital to this. And I would say at that time, even though we are providing a video content platform and a video ad platform all rolled into one, but I would say about 10 years ago, especially with my background, people uh, see that more as, okay, you have more closer to ad tech and ad tech valuations 10 years ago were not in the best state. Some people just thought of us as we're just a ad tech company, even though we are, I think, a lot more than that. It wasn't the greatest valuation, so and we, we could afford to do it on our own. So we thought, okay, let's just do it on our own. At that time, it's not an easy decision. Right. But uh, now in hindsight, it seems like the best decision. If I reflect on your, your career and the things you've done, it's like you've made some big bets along the way, including creating the business, but also saying, look, not tapping into funding, deciding to do it on your own, bring in the right founders, co-founders, the right team. That's all not easy to do necessarily. And to stay that course, especially given, again, the background you've been through, you had been through acquisitions before, you knew that world, because you could argue that you could move a lot faster and you could get there a lot quicker if you had several million or tens of millions to, to get there. But you made that bet, which again, allowed you to steer the ship in the way you wanted, which I think is amazing. In a previous interview uh, on the Up Next podcast, you mentioned offering a variety of cultural content for users. Can you talk a bit more about this area of focus and, and why this is important? Our positioning sort of was, we are an independent platform, not owned by one big media company. We wanted to be global from the get-go. Our thought process was, we want to bring content that connects to people's passion points. Typically, when you think of free streaming content, the thought process is, oh, it's just library content of old movies and old shows. We have movies and shows, but we wanted to be more than that. So we wanted to connect to people's passion points. Now that could be news, whether that's uh, sports, you know, documentary, or even, you know, we are a multicultural society. I mean, in terms of, and, or whether you have content that connects you with sort of your cultural affinities, basically. All of these and being global was important to us. And I feel in the last few years, especially during the pandemic, sort of the world has become more, from a content perspective, more closer. I've watched Norwegian shows, Korean shows, Spanish shows. All of us as consumers watch content from across the world, which wasn't as common five, 10 years ago. Right. Now that's definitely coming together. I mean, American content is always watched by sort of the world. Sure. America's been in that position now for a long time, so many decades. But now Americans are also watching content from other places. Yep. And at the same time, there are a lot of people in the United States and other countries who have sort of come from other places. So they still watch content from those places as well. All of these factors sort of led us to think, okay, we want to be global and multicultural and independent. Distro TV has also jumped into original content creation with the, the first film being the Escandalo Secreto, El Plena Curiantina. And I love that. So now you got to, you're getting into the, you know, creating original content, which as a content creator, I'm just a fan of that move. I think that's another smart bet. But what role do you see for original content creation at Distro TV moving forward? 
as time goes on and as we are more successful, that's a route that pretty much happens on all platforms. Free streaming platforms, it'll happen too. So we will hopefully do a lot more of those, but obviously that is a investment and we will be sort of opportunistic about that. And it might happen in different markets, basically. I hope we do a lot more. How closely are you watching like the Roku's of the world and, and seeing how they're, you know, entering in and, and you know, in terms of streaming and, and lots of, you know, curating lots of content? We keep an eye out on all the sort of platforms. I think what will happen is the same way as in subscription-based streaming, like people will have, let's say, two to five or six different services, right? I think, in fact, today is, there was an article on Bloomberg where saying it's sort of plateauing at about four and a half or so. And we've seen the news about Netflix and so on. I think similarly, there will be about eight to 10 or maybe a dozen or so, right? I would say eight to 12 sort of free services that will sort of have large-scale adoption. And we hope to be one of them. And this will happen not just, again, in U.S., but it will happen in all markets. What are your thoughts? So you mentioned Netflix. I'm curious about this. Obviously, it's been a big, a big hot topic. There was an article in The Atlantic that came out. It says, the days of seemingly unlimited new content from the streamer appear to be ending. What do you make of all of that, given you're in the space and I'm sure watching Netflix as well? There will be some saturation in terms of streaming services. Right now, I mean, pretty much everyone you know of already has subscription to streaming services. As that market matures, there will be some leveling off. You're not going to subscribe to 10 or 15 different services. That market is plateauing. There is growth for Netflix and some of the subscription-based and other markets outside of US. That definitely will happen. But also at the same time, the subscription-based streaming services, they've become big companies. They are essentially, the way I look at it, is sort of the big studios now. Right. So they are like the big studios and they can bring you great content. So they can bring you a lot of original content. And I think they will continue to do so to maintain that interest and engagement with audiences. I think they will continue to bring original programming. My thought is, okay, you know, if they become more like big studios, they will always be independent creators too, whether your channels or an independent show or a movie creator. And the people who don't get sort of bought by the big studios, now where do they go? So that's where I think fast platforms, because you have to have an avenue for independent creators and other content to have the maximum reach to audiences, right? That's where I feel we have the opportunity in terms of on-demand shows. And at the same time, linear channels, mm -hmm. you know, as consumers, we have sort of two modes of watching. There is the lean-in mode of watching and the lean-back mode of watching, right? I want to go and watch this particular movie or this particular show. And I go search for it on whatever service I'm using and I watch it. But on other times, I turn on a channel. I watch news. I keep that news running or I keep sports or music. That is sort of the more lean-back mode of watching. I have that channel running. Streaming services have to cater to both. So we sort of lead with, if you go to distro.tv, we lead with the linear channels. We, we have 
thousands of hours of VOD content too, but we lead with the linear channels. We have about 234 live and linear channels today. That's an important thing. It's not going to go away. People are still going to watch news programs, talk shows, business news, financial news. All of that is still there. That type of content will be more on ad-supported streaming services than subscription-based streaming services. It seems like they made a big deal about Netflix users sharing their passwords, and that was kind of a thing where they it kind of left them exposed. Is there any lesson learning in there for you around that? We've actually made an interesting choice as Distro TV. But I would say we are probably the most privacy-friendly. We actually require no registration, no authentication. Ah. When you go to Distro TV, we don't require any kind of sign-in. Wow. You don't have to tell us who you are. You don't have to give us your email and certainly no payments. You don't pay anything and you don't register. Wow. Our goal is you can download the app on the smart TV or streaming device you're using and start watching. You can even just watch it on the web. You can go to distro.tv and start watching channels. So we are creating an interface where it's the shortest distance for you as a consumer just to go there and start watching TV. And then we as a business make money when the more people watch TV, the more sort of advertising opportunities there is. If you're charging subscription, you could watch just one hour in a month or two hours, but you're still paying the same subscription. For us as a business, we only make money when our users actually watch TV for a long time. It goes in line with like the content's got to be good. That's right. It has to be engaging. That makes sense. Okay, we've got a few minutes left. I want to I want to get into uh, some of the lightning round questions. Before we do that, is there anything else you want to share just about the future of DistroScale, DistroTV, kind of your final thoughts on where you're headed or any other topic you want to make sure we cover before we get into the lightning round? Any mid to large publisher, what we are bringing is a combined platform that helps them deliver video on their websites or apps and also deliver their streaming channel, which I think right now people see it as very different things. But ultimately, you have to have, as a media company, you have to have a cohesive strategy to deliver video. You have short-form video on the web, and then you have longer-form content on streaming services. But you have to have a cohesive strategy that powers it all, and that's how you manage it. That's sort of my vision, which I hope that the world sort of move in that direction and sort of publishers and media companies also will think about it. If that happens, that's more success for us. Well, you've definitely made some great bets in your career for sure. There's no doubt about it. Fortune is on your side, it it appears, which is great. So congratulations to you and the whole team at DistroScale and, and DistroTV as well. Thank you for being here. Let's get into the lightning round. So for those of you still with us, we appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. If you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Navdeep Saini, co-founder and CEO of DistroScale. Couple of questions here, lightning round. First one is, what are you, what are you personally betting on for the future? The growth of you know, streaming, uh, the growth of streaming. All in, all in. Streaming along with video. Okay, I like it. 
if you've got to build a team from scratch, let's say tomorrow something crazy happens and all of a sudden it's just you at DistroScale and you've got to build the team from scratch, what's the first role you're hiring and why? Engineering and business development. Those are both uh, important. You know, one thing I've learned is both are equally important, even though I used to think it was more engineering, but, you know, because I come more from that background, but I think both are equally important. Last two questions. If you personally could effortlessly pick up a new skill, like in an instant, what would that skill be? To be a better salesperson. Okay. Okay. I love that. That's great. Last question. What is one thing that you want to do this year that you've never done before? What I'm doing right now, this is my first ever video interview. Yes. This is something that uh, as we are creating Distro TV and creating a consumer platform and we need to push, put the word out. So I need to put myself out there too. So I think that's something that I want to do. And this is a step in that direction. You did it. Not deep. I mean, you did fantastic and, and amazing having you on the show. I mean, you clearly are a visionary. It's really beautiful to see the trajectory of your career, to see what you've done and built. And I know that it's definitely not the end for DistroScale and the team there. So very grateful that we could be uh, your first podcast. I know there'll be many more. Thank you so much for being on Marketing Trends. We appreciate it. Thank you. That was great talking to you. Wish you all the best. Awesome. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.